in order for us to keep watching the show, I think we need to, in our minds, convince ourselves that this episode took place in an alternate reality. Oh, yeah. It was a scary dream Betty had. Oh, and it's God. another musical episode, but they're doing guys and dolls, and it's like two numbers, and it's fine. Yeah, it's just like them, the guys only know it for them dolls, and then that's exactly. <laughs> pals and gals and welcome to a off of a hiatus episode of exo exo riverdale i'm louis perlman i'm kate batter and we have a lot to say it is it is we have a lot to say it's it's nice to be chatting it's alexa just started talking alexa stop (laughs) you can leave this in uh it's great to chat i'm happy we're off from our hiatus it felt long this time. Yeah. So uh, what's been going on in the, in the wonderful world of uh, Riverdale social media before we get into it? Because we do have a lot to say this episode. Uh, not a lot. I mean, they last time we spoke, they had finished filming. Yes. So now it's like a lot of just like vacations and going to Coachella. I think KJ's filming that movie where he's doing a Christopher Plummer thing where he's like reshooting for someone. Yes. It's very exciting. Congrats to KJ. Congrats to KJ, but he like doesn't share that much. It's fine. It Colin yeah. on vacation. Camilla went to Coachella, I think. Hashtag Camchella. Come, never mind. It was Camchella. 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 Thank you. It just will never succeed as a hashtag, but I got where you were going. Yeah, thank you for that. Thank you for your sympathy. Yeah. From, from... Sympathy, but not support. No, no, I, I, I don't expect support from that joke. <laughs> what else is going on? Here's something kind of fun uh, that actually uh, Mad Magazine rebooted itself yesterday with some very good editors as uh, who are all like comedy writers like Ali Gortez is Wait, the editor now. Like two or three years ago, Weird Al edited an uh, issue. Yes, Weird Al was a guest editor a few years ago. They revamped it because they moved their staff out to LA. Oh, so it's just it's just been on, on a hiatus for like all of a few months. Okay. But it is it is a real revamp. Like Brian Posehn wrote an article. Um but something something that's super fun is they did a version of they did a new parody of Archie Comics that they called starchy which is the old version of it's the old mad parody for archie comics they they used all the same character names from like when they parodied archie in the 40s oh wow which is fun and it was in the same art style as that parody and then after that they did a riverdale parody so that's kind of fun yeah like back to back in the in the issue so check that out that's kind of fun Oh, um, speaking of Riverdale, so at speaking my... Speaking of Riverdale uh, on our podcast. Speaking of Riverdale, at one of my jobs, I work in a Barnes & Noble, and I was working with another employee who's only 19, and, Wonderful. like, I was unboxing books, and at the bottom was, like, a Riverdale graphic novel. So I used that as my transition to be like, so, do you watch Riverdale? Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, listeners at home, 
She thinks it's gross that we like moose. Oh, that's right. You told me this. She started, I said, do you watch Riverdale? And she said, I love Cole Sprouse. And then we launched into that. I said, it's weird because like a lot of them are younger than me, but like, I love moose. And she was just like, ew. And I was like, fuck you. Yeah. (laughs) I guess like, cause he's in his later twenties. So maybe he's, but like when I was that age, I was into older, like older celebrities. Like age is but a number when you're that age. Well, some people only like, you know, people around their own age group, I guess. But I think that that actor is so handsome. I know. I know. I'm such a fan. How old is he now? Um, I'm going to look it up. I think he's like 26. Yeah, so he's right in my target dating age for the men I'm attracted to. Cheers like, to that! <laughs> I typed, started typing Cody Kearsley and immediately did Cody Kearsley age. But am I going to be able to find it? Oh, wait, I want to hold up to the camera this picture that just popped up. I don't know if you can see it. Is that the right oh, one? Oh, look at him. Joey Lawrence looking motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, we should tell our listeners now, just so that they don't, you know, listen through to the end, because there's going to be a very special musical segment near the end of this podcast. That Kate does not approve of. Yeah, it's Kate unapproved, and it's very Louis approved, so it's going to make Kate very uncomfortable, which is sometimes my goal in the podcast, but usually not. Yeah, I can't find, but I think he's older than a chunk of them. Yes, he's old enough, apparently, for me to at least go out on a date with. Yes, yeah, certainly. He's not, I, I don't think he's below 25. Oh, love it. Which I'm loving like, this. I'm loving this conversation. Which is like a cutoff for me. Yes. So basically, perfectly fine totally. for us to be into this. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, I love it. Great. So the other thing that I want to chat about just a little bit, just because I think it's interesting within the context of this show, is this New Yorker article that came out that was written by Molly Ringwald that's about her examining her old films. And she re-examined The Breakfast Club and uh, some of her other work that she did with John Hughes. You know, John Hughes... Well, she did do Pretty in Pink, but Sixteen Candles really proved her point. Yes, very much so. And it's sort of about how now she's seeing some problematic issues with the way that women are treated in in the films. And you you thought this was just okay. I thought this was kind of an interesting piece specifically for Molly Ringwald to write. I think it's, yeah, it's, I'm surprised it came from her. I, and like, she does have an interesting perspective. I think it's just like, the New Yorker just won a Pulitzer for this, for reporting on this issue. That's true. Absolutely. But, I mean, co- comparatively, she's not up there. But Yeah, no, no, definitely writing wise. I do agree with that. But uh, I think as if you're a fan of the show and the the show draws on so many interesting uh, sort of like teen drama slash pop traditions that it, it might be interesting for you to read this article and her perspective on the way teenage girls are portrayed in media in general. Mm-hmm. And, and then also too, something that I think is kind of funny is how she's clearly pretty uncomfortable to show her films to her daughter. And I understand that there is a personal aspect to that, mm-hmm. but she's totally cool with appearing on Riverdale where the teenage characters, one would argue are maybe more sexualized than the characters from John Hughes films. 
Yes. I think sexualized for longer. I think there's like some like really intense, disgusting moments in John Hughes films. Yes, totally. And maybe like it's more palpable to us because in, on Riverdale, it's a little more s- spread out. Yeah, it's like the same amount. It's just an issue that like in John Hughes, it's all at once. And in Riverdale, it's like drawn out. It does. It does feel like with John Hughes' films, they're going along and they're like very palatable. And then all of a sudden something happens in them where you're like, oh my. Yeah. But not like, it's weird because when you say it like that, it makes me think of like a John Waters film, which it's not. No. (laughs) (laughs) Certainly not. But it is a little bit like. I feel like, I mean, when I saw these movies, I certainly wasn't thinking about, like, the male gaze. But there were moments where I was like, oh, yeah, that's fucked up. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, it's like you're watching it and all of a sudden it's like, oh, this isn't for me. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, and and definitely it's interesting because I was reminded reading the article that one of my big, like, media sexual awakenings was Anthony Michael Hall and Ian Z. I think it's Ian yeah, I and Zering and Weird Science. And I was like, yes, those are the types of boys that I like. I mean, Jake Ryan, Every everyone has a crush on Jake Ryan. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very, very much so. And it's like, then certain things happen in these movies where, like, there's gay slangs used or... Any long duck dong moment yeah, is... Yeah, and, like, and you're like, oh, this isn't for me. This is for, like, white straight guys. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and it's interesting. Now, Riverdale, though, Riverdale is for the children. Yes. <laughs> Maybe it's... For t- the babies. This Peppa Pig, Paw Patrol. Yeah. <laughs> Paw Patrol, Peppa Pig, Wu-Tang, and Riverdale. Yes. <laughs> for the children. Let's get into it. Really? A Night to Remember. Which is a movie from the 50s, I believe, that was just a drama about the Titanic sinking. Which I thought was going to be relevant, but it like doesn't even apply to the episode. Well, maybe, Kate, in a metatextual way, it was relevant uh, because of our feelings on this episode. Right. I don't think it was purposefully relevant. I, I do agree with that. So let's talk about it. And I, I really don't want – I want to preface this conversation by saying that already, just based on a few snarky tweets of ours – some fans of ours who we like and who we like chatting with and some um, previous guests on our show have sort of clapped back at us. <laughs> and and uh, I, I just want to preface this by saying, like, I, I do appreciate and, and, and respect your opinions about this. And I really would like to hear from you over Twitter. You know, it seems you love the episode and this episode so far does seem to be somewhat well-received by both the fan and, and cri- critic community. Um, Den of Geek called it the best musical episode of all time. They said it's set a new standard for musical episodes of shows. Which is bonkers. I do. I think it's, I think it's weird. And, and this is coming from... Not, none of these were original songs. No, these are the songs from the musical, yeah. from Carrie the Musical which is a show that was written by uh, Lawrence D. Cohen on book, Dean Pitchford on lyrics and Michael Gore on music. And, uh, and I'm reading this off of Wikipedia. How smart am I? Wow. Um, 
But um, and it's based on Stephen, Stephen King's debut book, Carrie. Yeah, which is also adopt adapted when it was re. You know, of course, there's the famous Brian De Palma sissy SpaceX film, right? From from the seventies, which I don't think is very good. And no, then, I think again. Yeah, the remake, which was written by Roberto Aguirre Sacasa. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, and I think the remake is actually quite good. Uh, I argue that the remake is the most faithful adaptation of the book, and it's a very good book and a book that is difficult to adapt. Okay, and I haven't read it or seen either movie, so I'll just take your word for it. Cool, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the book is awesome. And the book definitely trades in, like, the tropes of, of teen Americana juxtaposed with this, like, incredibly weird, like, family story that then leads to this revelation that this girl is telekinetic and it's great. And it's like why it put Stephen King on the map. It was his first book, you know, like I do recommend it. I think it's a very good book. And then, you know, you know, there's this decision to adapt it into a, a musical and the musical is famously was famously a bomb, a major bomb when it made its Broadway debut, I think it played for like a week on Broadway. It's yeah. known as one of, yeah, 1988. It's, uh, yeah, no, it's from 88. And it was, it was, it was an $8 million show, which at the time was incredibly absorbent. Yeah. And then I'm, I'm just going to, I'm just going to read this out loud. Cause it's interesting. After the final song, boos were heard mixed in with applause. So, like, the audience was very, very divided, where some people really loved it, and some people really disliked it. I wonder if it wasn't necessarily claps of really loved it, though, if it was just applause that's, like, because it's the end of the show... And they did act this whole thing, and this is what I'm used to doing. And booing just seems incredibly rude. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I mean, I, I wish I had been there. It's like really like a classic moment of Broadway history. Want to hear something? Sure. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, yeah. So you were were just an apple in your mother's eye. But yeah, I mean, this is this is interesting stuff. It's a, it's a very divisive show, and it closed after five performances. So it was really known as a very expensive folly of a show, okay? And then it was revived off-Broadway in 2012, and I remember when this happened. And it it was much better received. And the whole point of it was that they felt like sort of the book writers uh, had been had been, like, it was sort of marred down by poor direction, and they the people who wrote the show originally did a big revamp of it. And that version was well received and was much more successful. And since then, you know, that version of it has been revived both in LA and on the West end. And, but that being said, this is not a classic piece of musical theater. I feel like you're already playing basically, you know, with a, with a deck with no aces when you attempt to, you know, craft a show, a, a, ver- a musical version of Riverdale around this Carrie musical, you know? Mm-hmm. It's such a weird choice too. Cause I know Den of Geeks compared it to other musical episodes. And it's just like, 
Other musical episodes of TV shows we see have original music. The only other show that's kind of comparable to this is an episode of Glee, where they would have, like, one episode dedicated to a certain artist or a certain album. Yes. But, and I watched all of Glee. I think I just, that's what I expected from Glee. And I also think Glee would have done this better. If they had to carry the musical episode, I think they would have done it better. Now, here's a question that I have for you about Glee, because I only watched a little bit of Glee here and there. Was all the music in Glee diegetic, or was there non-diegetic elements as well? And oh. for, our, our, for our listeners at home, we should explain those terms, yeah, right? Yeah, so diegetic means that the music is coming from a dramatic place from inside the narrative, as in, like, it's a band at a bar, and then we watch the band play at a bar. Or the music is coming out of the radio in a scene. That's diegetic music. Non-diegetic is characters breaking into song and breaking the reality of the scene. Non-diegetic, no. Did I completely Uh, fuck that up? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) You didn't, like, you were on the right track. And then so diegetic is it takes place in it. So that can be a character breaking out to song. That can be the band of the bar. That diegetic sound would be, like, if a horse whinnies. Yeah. Um non-diegetic is like the score it's like the blah oh yeah 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 that's non-diegetic yeah so 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 does breaking out into song in the middle of a scene not fit in either of those categories it's technically diegetic oh interesting this episode like the way they do it because like in glee they all set it up like this is glee class so they'd be like i'm going to perform a song and then we perform it so it's certainly diegetic certainly like the way it was used as like a transition is interesting uh, interesting, but not good. No, very. Ugh, it felt I'm also like glad we talked about this diegetic, non-diegetic, because I think I've referenced it in this podcast multiple times. So that we explaining. have we have talked about it before, definitely. And I thought it would be a, a fun thing to to talk about a little bit. So yeah. yes, so like it it felt, but you must have Glee did that, and mm-hmm. it, so it had both. Like you know, they would I'll say like so they had an episode that's based on the album Rumors by Fleetwood Mac. Yeah, And then, like, uh, Leah Michelle's character was like, I'm going to sing this song that was originally sung by a man, but I'm going to do it with my woman voice. And then she sang, go your own way. But, cool. like, scene transitions were all just, like, the, the start, the kick drum at the start of the chain. With, Got like, it. the guitar over it. Mm-hmm. But they never sang the chain. Got it. Yeah, yeah. But, so it was a little more artfully handled. Yeah. Well, it was also just like what the show was about. Yeah. Yeah. Handle it better, which is what, that's kind of what I thought this was going to be was like, I heard, first of all, I heard there were only going to be two musical numbers and there were way more than that. Yeah. I think there were, I think there were 75 musical numbers in this show. There were somewhere between 75 and 80. I think you're right. I lost because I only have 10 fingers. Yeah. Um, And like, I thought it would be like, okay. So these, I thought it was like, the, they were doing Carrie because the songs are fun. So they would rehearse the scene and they would lead up to it and they'd be like, let's practice the big opening number. And then they would practice the big opening number. But like that, only, like it was only sort of explained. The worst was the backstage song. They released it as a promo. And that was the song where I was like, this is fucked up and wrong and I don't like it. Yeah, it doesn't fit and it doesn't work within the rules of the world that they've created and also i think something that i found frustrating about it and i want to hear your take on it is that 
they use the singing and the songs from Carrie as an excuse to shift relationships very drastically in ways that sort of just like were a bit of a plot reset for the season. Yes. That that were like this like magical salve that I don't think actually the oh show god. earned properly. No. Oh my god. These like sudden relationship changes. I think at one point I was just like, this is bonkers. Like, yeah. This show is unrealistic, but it was so over the top. It's like the difference between like Scrubs is actually a fairly realistic show, except for the voiceover. It was like the difference of like going from like Scrubs or ER to like Legion. Like it just went from like, from like grounded and real and possible to mutants. Yeah. 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 Totally. Like now all of a sudden here's this thing. And, and, you know, and it's interesting because as much as the show's hinted towards the supernatural, they've never done it. And ultimately, I, I've, I have come to agree with you on this, that mm-hmm. the show is better off not incorporating supernatural elements. And actually, in certain ways, this felt kind of weirdly supernatural, that all of a sudden they were singing, you know? Yeah. Like, it was like, but yeah, you know, I don't know. It, it was hard. I found it hard. I will say, and then, like, now I'm thinking, so, like, High School Musical has both where it's just, like, they suddenly break into song and where they're presented as, like, this is my audition song. And oh, yeah. And handle it well, too. It's just, like, the people doing this, I think the people writing this do not have a musical background at all. I, I agree with that. I'm, I'm pretty sure about that. And then, also, something else I just want to add to this is then we have the how difficult it is that they have to sort of shoehorn these carry songs into the actual characters mouths. Yeah. Which by the way, they're all very poorly lip synced. Yeah. 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 And that's fine. You know, like whatever, that's not it. it, it, Yeah. Like the auto tuning and the lip syncing, it's all good. Mm -hmm. And you know, and certainly we already know that these women can sing on the show. KJ Appa. I wasn't sure if Maginot Amick was actually singing. That was the one where I was like, I wonder. Yeah, that's Everyone fair. Pretty on board with. Yeah, yeah. K- KJ Apa, out of his element. Yeah. Even with, like, first of all, I've slowly figured out through the episode that KJ is a tenor and not a bass. Mm. But, like, even it felt like, I mean, Moose only sang one line, so that might have been him. I just don't know if it was Machin. You don't know if it was what? If it was Machin singing or if that was a. Oh, or just uh, another singer? Yeah, just like a vocal artist. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, and that's okay. Archie-related properties have a history of people behind the scenes singing for them. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't mind that so much as, you know. But it's... um, I, I was really excited about this episode because of the way it was advertised and hyped <laughs> to us. I thought it was going to be a lot of first-person camera footage shot by Jughead. I thought it was going to be like a mockumentary, almost yeah. like a Waiting for Huffman style mm-hmm. mockumentary with glimpses into the musical numbers. Yeah. And it, it, it is not what it was. It was a not major yet. mess. No. Yeah. Do you want to say, and, if you usually go by character by character when we discuss, I don't think we can do that. I think we just have to go in order of the episode. Well, I have a proposal. Let's just say... Let's just talk about first the major stuff 
that happened to the characters, you know, just the major big, big, big points. And then let's, yeah, let's go th- in order. You know okay. what I mean? And just give yeah. her like what the fuck moments here. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot that happened. Um, the Black Hood is back. <laughs> we haven't even mentioned that yet. The Black the- Hood is back. The Black Hood is back. Hashtag not a shock. Yeah. <laughs> Least shocking thing ever. Like, we've gotten this far into our podcast before going, oh, you know, the murderer's back in town. Yeah, totally. Um, so Archie gives the keys back to his Thunderbird and gives and and gets a jalopy for him and his dad to fix up. Yep. So that he can be more like his comic book counterpart and roll yeah. around in Riverdale in an old jalopy. Yep. Whoop-de-doo. <laughs> a major plot point is that Alice is in the school musical. And I was thinking about this. In the past, she wrote for the Blue and Gold, and we're like, this is inappropriate. Again, she just, like, somehow finds herself a participant of after-school activities. Yeah, totally. This is, like, all she wants from her life, it seems. That yeah. was a really good joke, though, I do want to say, when... Uh, Kevin Keller said, I can't stand. Uh, I wrote it down. I paused it and wrote it down. Yeah. Nothing more amateur than age inappropriate casting. Yeah, which is amazing coming from Riverdale. Yeah. It's very, very, very funny. Yeah, but then that being said, then they sort of negate their own joke because then Josie is playing the gym teacher. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. So. Um, Cheryl, what else? Here's oh. her mom. There's yep. that. Yep, yep. That was awesome. I love seeing Cheryl covered in the pig's blood. Uh, Alice and Betty make up, and Betty and Veronica make up, and Chick is around. Why was Alice? Why were Alice and Betty mad at each other again? I don't remember. No, neither do I. Let's talk about this now. Let's talk about this now. Okay. Because why not? This episode was a major mess, and then that final sequence was wonderful and was yeah. very, very creepy. Yes, I will say the major point of it is, first of all, Midge is dead, long live Midge. And I do think this Kevin can wait situation where they're like, well, everyone likes Kevin and Moose together, so we'll just kill Midge to get her out of the way. I know. They basically, you know, do you know the term they fridged a character? No, but... Women women in refrigerators? No. This is like, I feel like they they sort of fridged her here, and I, I don't totally love it. It's an old um, comic book geek term in the 90s um, in order for this Green Lantern character to grow as a, as a character. They had it written in that he comes home and finds his girlfriend chopped up and in a refrigerator. So they, like, sacrifice a character, a female character, for the male's personal growth. Yeah. And then this, this really wonderful comic book writer who at the time was not a writer yet her name is Gail Simone. She started a website called womeninrefrigerators.com where she documented every time that this happens in a comic where uh, basically a female character is like killed or assaulted in order to lead to the male character having some sort of revelation yeah. or growth. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like it reminds me like the first season of Kevin can wait. Leah Remini guessed it and everyone remembered how much they liked them on King of Queens. So they just murdered his wife. Yeah. So that mm-hmm. Leah Remini could come in. Mm-hmm. That's like, kind of, like, they murdered Midge so Moose and Kevin can happen. Mm-hmm. That's what I think happened. Yeah, I don't, I don't love that. I would rather that Midge still be alive and give Moose her consent. Yeah. To go find his happiness with this boy. 
Yeah. But the major thing I want to talk about, the final shots are camera footage from Jughead's camera. Mm-hmm. And you see everyone screaming and running about, and the camera pans, and for a split second, you can see everyone running in panic and Chick sitting still smiling. Mm-hmm. Smiling. And it was so creepy. It, like, gave me chills. It was upsetting to see. And it's... I wonder if they're going to touch on it again. Yeah, it was good grim horror from a teen drama show, like, that has traded in those tropes. But this was very... This was excellent. I thought the entire final sequence was genuinely horrifying. Yes. Which is great. And also a, a surprise. Yeah. Yeah, after sort of this rosy, cutesy musical episode, you know? I mean, I wouldn't say call it rosy and cutesy. I feel like it was still very dark. I feel like it was like... So I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but a lot of British shows have weird lighting. Mm-hmm. Like, and they just, like, you can see a show and just be like, that's British. Yes. how it's lit. Like, <laughs> that's what this felt like to me. Was It wasn't lit right. It, it did feel aesthetically like it wasn't American. Yeah. <laughs> because it also, you can, you can tell what a show's Canadian as well, for sure. Yeah. It, that's yeah. kind of felt like not necessarily an exact country I can pinpoint. Yeah, but... it came from the land of the musical that should have never been. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, so let's, let's go through the plot of this. Okay. Um, so, I mean, I will say... So I have two sentences. I have Jughead will be videographer. Archie studies lines doing push-ups, and the next sentence is musical number no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wrote. I wrote. Oh, so it's a musical. Like because I, I I knew it was a musical episode, but I wasn't expecting it. But I think we've already addressed that. But yeah, at length. Um, yeah, at length. Absolutely. Oh yeah. Okay. Opening opening act. This is a question that I have. Who said it again? Someone was like, like we're here for Kevin. And they were, like, there to support Kevin. And what has happened to Kevin recently that someone needs to be there to to be there for him? I don't know. Okay, well, that seemed weird to me. And then I wrote after that, I don't know if I like this. <laughs> so, like, some more plot points to sing. So, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Brett says that Andrew's construction will build the sets. And he wants Archie to know that he's glad that he's back into music, even if it's not rock and roll. No, but it is a light rock, soft pop Broadway score. Oh, baby. And then oh, I wrote baby. Katie Can't Sing, which I did talk about before. He's not a bass. No, he's, he's not. He's, he's he doesn't much- He doesn't come off great in this episode. No. Pretty doofy. Um, and then I wrote that Casey sounds like an opera singer. Like, it was suddenly way bolder and stronger than anyone. Everyone was, like, really poppy, and then he was suddenly, like, classically trained. Yeah, because Casey has a, a proper, you know, he's a he's a stage actor. Yeah. That's his background. Yeah, which in itself is interesting. And he, you know, but they want to have him be the director, but he actually should have been singing a little more in this. Yeah. In this, but, yeah, definitely he is not matchy matchy with the rest of the people singing in the episode he's more clashy clashy yeah yeah and then like they're doing this like i assume they were like rehearsing because they were doing this choreography but like it's choreography that would only work from that above camera angle yes the busby berkeley angle yeah mm-hmm. and Absolutely. they said well, the musical and i wrote boo yep agreed 
that was pretty much that act. Anything else about that act? So much. Um, oh, I'm so that sorry. Was really just, that was the opening sequence. Yes, that's true. Um, Ethel's <coughs> tone deaf was great. Ethel's what? Her <coughs> tone deaf. Oh, yeah, totally. Solid. I wrote, stop redeeming Chuck. Stop it. He's They're trying to... Doesn't deserve it. They're trying to reset Chuck to be like his comic book counterpart. And that's a very difficult thing to do after his first appearance in the show is as a, like, serial rapist, basically. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, they've really written themselves into a corner. And it's difficult. And we had, we were critical of that when they did it in the first place. Because yeah. we were like, well, that's not good usage of one of Archie Comics' only classically black characters. And here we are. And look what you've done to yourselves, writers of Riverdale. No, look you- what you've done. Um, Cheryl calls everyone else the Ensemble Vultures. And then I wrote, Ensemble Vultures, Cheryl into song, This Is My Nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is <a> nightmare. <laughs> and then a sandbag almost crushes her. Yes. And that would have been awful if it had Crusher. So then... It would have been awful, but then we wouldn't have to hear her singing anymore. That is true. That is a good point. So, Black Hood is back. Yeah. And in order to write around what is going on, we have to have classic Riverdale teenagers acting stupidly when we like it when they act smartly. Because yep. it's truer to the characters and shows more affection for them. So, really, Kevin, you're directing this show and you're not going to tell your dad? You know? Yeah. Like that this he, thing happened? He thinks it's not the Black Hood because just wanting to have the play recast as small potatoes. That's and what he said. Even if it's a Black Hood, you know, imposter, like, this sets a bad precedent, like... Someone tried to drop a sandbag on one of your cast members. Yeah. Tell your daddy, the chief of police. That's literally his job. Yes, exactly. And then I wrote too many songs. Yes, too many songs. Absolutely. Um, too many songs and the dancers are too good. Yes, agreed. So there was a scene here between Hiram and Hermione where my only takeaway is everyone is acting bad. Mm-hmm. The acting wasn't even good in the episode. I feel like the non-musical sequences were like, oh my god, we have to get out a lot of information. Go, 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 go. <laughs> like, and, and, and they were rushed, and they probably didn't get as many takes as they normally get with the non-musical elements. Because probably, to stay on schedule, the musical elements took a yeah. lot to shoot. Yeah. Alice tells FP that they're making the same mistakes over again, which is probably going to come back up. And then I wrote, stop singing. Yes, because then we go back to some bullshit singing thing. That's my first page of notes. Has so many notes about how I want them to stop. I know, Kate. I'm sorry that you had to go through this. (laughs) And then like a small thing in here. The other like important thing is why fangs? Like there's no, like there's no other serpents. It's just that fangs is co-directing. Yeah, it's only because Fangs is gay. Yeah, that's gotta be it. That's not nice. No, he was, like, suddenly, like, not even in Serpent's gear. He was just still called Fangs. Yeah, he was in, like, gay clothes. Yeah. Yeah, he was dressed a little like Stefan from SNL. (laughs) 
I mean, in a sense. <laughs> anyway. I mean, nothing like that, but he was comparatively dressed like Stefan. <laughs> I don't know. It felt like maybe that shirt could have been an Ed Hardy shirt to me, but you know. I mean, it might as well have been. Yeah, exactly. Um, this is an act break, and coming back up, my the first thing I wrote was kill me. Okay, before we move on, I do want to address one more thing in this act. Mm-hmm. Betty Cooper, all of a sudden, crappy detective. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, and, like, Jughead's, like, ducking behind the window. It was so, it, like, that scene was so out of place. Yeah, and, like. The entire series. Like, the scene is out of place, but, like, that scene in particular is just, like. What is happening? In order for us to keep watching the show, I think we need to, in our minds, convince ourselves that this episode took place in an alternate reality. Oh, yeah. It was a scary dream Betty had. That, yeah, like, has this... to... I hope the next episode starts and Midge is alive. That's what needs to happen. Midge wakes up that it's a dream. It's a weird dream. <laughs> Just a weird, dumb dream. Oh and it's God. another musical episode, but they're doing guys and dolls, and it's like two numbers, and it's fine. Yeah, it's just like them, the guys only know enough for them dolls, and then that's exactly <laughs> that's all we get. And then I want Moose to come out on stage and stand center stage, and I want him directly to camera to deliver an apology to you and me specifically. <laughs> for a second, I thought about him singing "So Danny Rock in the Boat," and I decided that was the only acceptable musical number. <laughs> Is Moose doing sit down and rocking the boat? <laughs> that would be, that would be the best hour of television of the year. Yeah, just like vamping, adding more verses. Just an hour of Moose doing sit down and rocking the boat. Yeah, sit down. Yeah, that would be amazing <laughs> <laughs> for our listeners at home. So, guys, dolls is like not a good musical for our listeners at home. Uh, it's the best musical of all time, and. Hard to and, disagree. And, and also, I, for listeners at home, I think this episode made us insane. I think I think you're witnessing us completely I, going off the rails. I've liked musicals. I was in musicals for 12 years. Uh, hey, <laughs> listeners to our podcast, I'm literally, as we speak, writing an Archie Comics 60s bubblegum rock musical. Like, I'm in it. Um, I last night could not watch this live because I was in my friend's studio with some actors recording our demo. Wow. I did not watch live because I signed up for a yoga class without thinking about what was airing at the same time. I'm proud of you for taking care of your body. Yeah. I made a friend in this class and I like don't have a lot of friends here. So like, I feel like I have to keep going Wednesday nights to see her. I think that's fine. I think that's acceptable. Yeah. But I mean, I love musicals. I love I love these characters. I certainly think these characters can sing and dance. I have them doing plenty of that in my own show. But yeah, there was something about the way that it was accomplished here that felt like nails on a chalkboard. Moving on! Moving on! So after I wrote Kill Me, I noticed that this it's Veronica singing a song and there's hair whip sound effects. I did not notice that. Yeah, that's a... I, I mean... I'm going to say non-diegetic for that one because hair do not, does not make that sound. No, 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 no. Unless you're Willow Smith, hair does not make that sound. No. And then, like, I also noticed that Moose and Midge are just watching. Like, this is, they never rehearsed. There was, like, no. one 
were mid rehearsed, but like Moose was like in that circle, but never did anything. He just watched the whole time and then was in it. Yes. There's a hot take that Veronica was typecast, and then I wrote, "This doesn't need to be happening." Yes. This Betty, this... And, Ron- this Betty and Veronica makeup is bonkers. Archie was like, "Hey, I think you're being mean," and Betty was like, "You know what? You're right," and just like fixed it. Yes. Yes. Because why not? Why not reset everything for the last few episodes of the season? You know? A thing that I did really like is when Hiram came in to tell Fred that Archie has a car. Fred acted like he already knew. Oh, yeah. Totally. That was really good. I liked that. Upstanding gent, Fred Andrews. And then they get another warning from the Black Hood but the, that the sandbag won't miss next time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Ugh. Here's a big question. This is moving into the next act here. Uh-huh. How is Cheryl back at school? I think she's been living with Tony. And that's okay for a 16-year-old girl to be just living away from home? I think it's inappropriate, but it's not like her... But her mother, I, I mean, she broke out. I don't know how long her mother has known she's been on the outside. But then her mother comes in. Her mother's there, yeah. And it's like, hey... I don't want you doing the musical. Before and we first, that, I do want to mention the phrase lesbian terrorism. Sure, that's that's and, fine. And it's to Penelope. So Penelope, like, comes in and is, like, doesn't allow Cheryl to be in the musical, but, like, I just feel like there'd be some sort form of child protective services in the land of Riverdale, you know? Yeah, but CPS wouldn't, Actually, I don't think they would crack down on this. I guess you're right, but I mean, this whole nunnery thing and... It's really bad. You and I think they should, but CPS would not. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And it's Penelope doesn't want Cheryl playing out her matricidal fantasy. That's right. Her matricidal fantasy of killing her mother. That's right. And then this next scene is my... The moment is my favorite moment in the show. Uh Uh-huh. Kevin's announcing that Cheryl... Like, they're going to have to find a new carry, and Fangs, like, puts his hand in Kevin's chest, and Kevin just, like, like, yeah. off, like, not, no. Yeah. It was such a delight. Took two seconds. It was the best part of the show. Another good part was Archie's dancing. <laughs> it's like, wow. thing was so good. <laughs> Someone did respond to one of our complaints with that gif. Yes. Trying to prove that the episode was good, and they were right. That is a good sell, but like otherwise, <laughs> no, nothing is good. Uh, um, Midge is understudy. There were no auditions. Like, why is Midge understudy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Th- that's what they did. Is they made Midge the understudy. That's fine, because like many other things on the show, it doesn't work in a logical way. That's fine. Then I do want to say that. I do like this scene with Alice. You know, this is singing. No, but I like the conversation that she has with Betty. And, and I think that there's some gravitas here that I think is appropriate. Right. Well, first of all, Kevin says, am I directing a train wreck? And I just want to reach out to Kevin here and say, yes. Yeah. Um, But then like Alice, she says that everyone leaves her, but then also that she's, kind of pushing them away. Like, she rejected Chick twice. Yes! That is one thing. And 
And then she also says to Betty, you and I have never been so frayed. Yeah, huh? What? Yeah, cut back. She was not living with her. She was not living with her. And I would argue that this is sort of a discredit to all the hard work the writers did to have the character pivot away from her initial portrayal in the first few episodes Mm -hmm. of the series where she really was just portrayed as this like shrill, like, I don't want you hanging out with anybody. You know what I mean? Yeah. Remember that? And like that to me felt like them at their most frayed, not, not anything that's really happened this season. No. Yeah. But then Betty decides she, she, it's on her to fix it. Of Uh, course. If not, she's the child. Yes. Uh, the Playbill sponsors Hermione's campaign, which makes sense because Hiram's producing, but also it's a public school. Our taxes are what's producing it. This is, well, I think Hiram put a lot of money into it. Yeah, well, I mean, but where? Because I guess costume, because Fred is doing the sets and that's like the bulk. Yeah, and Fred's donating his time, but maybe Hiram yeah. bought materials for Fred. Maybe. That's maybe, the- maybe Hiram bought the rights. So that they could perform the show. Well, they should have... They're probably not that expensive, those rights. Uh, I think they're so, so expensive. But for, for high schools, they're usually not that much, so... Right. And they're... I mean, if they're within 50 miles of the city, then they can't do it if it's on Broadway at the same time. Mm-hmm. But... Because that was a problem my high school had, but... Uh, we just didn't do shows that were on Broadway. That was an easy fix. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Archie doesn't think he's a hero... Wow, good for him. (laughs) I'm leaving it there. Thank you, Kate. (laughs) But then this is when Archie stands up to Hiram, and he says if Hiram keeps trying to get between him and Fred, he will lose. Mm -hmm. I like this. I like Archie growing some cojones. Yeah, and like standing up for Fred for the first goddamn time. Yeah, no kidding, which we have been waiting for. And it also, this is a shift I appreciate. I think it's putting an end to Archie plays at Mafia, which we've seen a lot this season, and it might be time to move on from that. You know? Yeah. yeah. In the next act, Hal comes home. Yes, and I wrote Barf. Hal I, Barf. I wrote, Hal comes with flowers, wants to come home, Alice should say no. Yes. And then I wrote, yeah, you would want to come home. You yeah. little suck. You little piece of shit. I really hope that by the time the season ends, Riverdale, by some sort of method, is Hallis. Uh, I've uh, I've had enough of him. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do write like- write that doof off the show. Yeah, moving on already. I love the recurring <laughs> character, Junkyard Steve. Yes, very important guy, Junkyard Steve. Uh, is he in the comics? No, no. I, I, I'll, I'll make up a fake origin for Junkyard Steve. Yes, Junkyard Steve first appeared in Pep Comics, number 238, uh, where Jughead travels back in time and uh, gets a Cro-Magnum man and takes him to a junkyard in Riverdale, and he becomes known as Junkyard Steve. Wow. Mm-hmm. Going against all of the ethos of the Jughead time police. Yeah, I mean, they really love wrapping in these small characters. They certainly do. 
Shannon Purser is perfect. Shannon Purser, who plays Ethel and played Barb. I know. I love her. She's so good. I'd like to see more screen time for her as the series continues. I mean, she's an Emmy-nominated actress. No one else on the show is that good. That is true. And she really is lovely on the show. So good. This is when Cheryl goes home with her bucket and she's covered in blood holding a candelabra. Which I loved. Jason and Cliff's blood. I loved all of this. I really did. Penelope's. And if Penelope even touches a hair on Nana Rose's head, she'll, Cheryl will end her. Because mm-hmm. she will happily burn down another house. Mm-hmm. I'm going to burn down your house. I loved it. She wants emancipation. She wants Penelope and Claudius to move out. And the house is going to be hers and Nana's. And pig people should live amongst the pigs. What a great scene to have in this real mess of an episode. Right? It yeah, was- I... I loved all of that. I it loved it. Good. It was such it was, a... It was amazing. And the, like, brush off and Archie's dancing, like, that could have been an episode. Totally. Yeah. That would have been a great episode. Yeah. Oh, I just noticed this in my notes. So FP uh, sees Alice and Hal and leaves. And then Fangs disappeared. Uh, Kevin asked where Fangs was, and he was giving Midge notes. I'm going to comment on this for a moment. Uh, this was a theory from that Den of Geek review, so I cannot take credit for this, but I do think it's worth noting that maybe a scene got cut out because something in the comics that's quite well known is that Moose gets upset when anybody else is hitting on Midge, and it felt like maybe they were setting something like that up, but then it didn't come to any sort of fruition when it came to Moose. it felt like they were setting something up. It's that Fangs is gay, and then now I'm realizing that, like, Fangs was the last one to see Midge alive. That is correct. So that maybe wasn't setting up the moose thing. It was more setting up that Fangs could be involved. Yes, I thought that as well, certainly, that Fangs could be the Black Hood or be some Uh, variant. Yeah. Ethel has cut up magazines, but it's for her vision board. Which, really, let's see that vision board. I want to see what it looks like. You want to see it. I bet it's lovely. I bet I it's lovely as well. Ethel, I don't think Ethel is the Black Hood. I don't think she's involved in the Black Hood. I don't think Ethel's the Black Hood either. I certainly she's do not. Herring. I think that oh. Ethel has a really nice picture of Ava DuVernay on her vision board. I hope so. And I what hope do it you just think looks- she has on her vision board? Wow. Well, first of all, I hope that the letter she cut out spells dreams, you're perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Ava DuVernay is great. I think like uh, like uh, Michelle Obama mm-hmm. and like Darcy. Mm-hmm. But also like Adele. Totally. Do you think that Ethel is using her vision board with a string of lights in order to communicate with the Upside Down? I think that's a fun reference, but I'm going to straight up say no because I think she's just always going to be Barb and I don't want her to be. Uh, yes, I see what you're saying. All right. Yes, let's let that actress move on. That's yeah. fair. That's fair. Um, yes. So this is like such a small thing. Jughead's in the hallway and Moose goes by and shoves him and calls him Jugs. And yeah. it's just like, so. So then maybe now going back, maybe that does, like maybe there was a scene where he walked in on things and Midge, that's why he was angry. Yeah, yeah. It seemed like something was missing from all of that because why was he being so hostile towards Juggy, you know? Yeah. Yeah, there's something weird about that. Uh, 
Veronica says that Chuck's no longer a pariah. I disagree. He should be a pariah forever. Totally. It's like putting those words in that character's mouth so that we believe it, but like we weren't sold. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 So Chick was backstage and they were given the five minutes to places and Ethel's place would be on stage behind that curtain. That's correct. So, and then after seeing Chick in the audience like that, which I think you should go back and watch it. I'm going to go back and watch because it's truly insane. I'm like so scary. Yeah, totally. Uh, maybe he was the one that saw her. And then I wrote, why is Alice in this good God? Yeah. And then we had to sit through this, this number from Carrie with Carrie's mom. Good God. Oh so my God. God. Didn't yeah. Need, didn't need it. Yeah. Show the last line and then show Midge dead. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then that's the episode. Yeah. So, okay. We didn't love this. Um, <laughs> oh, uh, really? obviously. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I would say E for effort. Um, I do like when the show tries to play with its format. Yeah. I, I, it, comparatively to the tales from the dark side episode, this one really didn't do it for me. Um, I'd love to see more anthology style episodes from the show. I don't really think that the musical elements of this show on the whole work that often. Mm -hmm. And I think that during the season break, something that should be really thought about by the team creating this show, which is for the most part, a cool, charming, fun show we haven't laid into the Riverdale this much in a while. Sometimes, if ever. If ever. So, sometimes we're a little bored by Riverdale. And also, like, kudos to them to take the risk. And it's one of the reasons why it rubbed us the wrong way so much is because it was clearly such a push for them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but I think that the main element of the show to look at is the musical elements of the show. And why do they exist within the show? And what are they trying to accomplish in general? Yeah. Because everything that's wrong with, like, Betty in the karaoke singing, you know, Mad World, yeah. and and Veronica during her confirmation, what did she sing again? Um, Bittersweet Symphony. All of that, which has always been a problem for us, mm -hmm. was amplified tenfold in this episode. They have done musical numbers really well. I think they did Kids in America really well. The Agreed. way they played that. Kids in America was fun. I Feel Love was fun. Yes, the, Sugar the, Sugar. The revamp of Sugar Sugar was the best, and they blew their wad early. Do more fun, big band hip-hop versions of Archie's songs. Who cares that nobody knows what they are? It's just a fun thing for them to learn about, because those songs are have very hooky choruses, which are very easy to write rap verses around. Yeah. You, or even you know? just like, like, Kids in America was wrapped really well into what was going on. Yes. It was really, really well edited in, and it's an upbeat song that people know. Yes. Good point. Absolutely. Absolutely. Also, I want to say, Josie and the Pussycats have also a fairly well-known, in terms of, like, kids that grew up in the 70s, well-known catalog of songs from their cartoon. Yeah. Which could be mine as well. Or also some of the songs from the film as yeah, well. Yeah, I mean, we all want to hear the songs from the film. 
Well, yeah, but like, why? What's to say that there that three small words couldn't be in this in this version of Riverdale? You know, it's just one of those girls needs to be wronged. Like, if when they were, if when Archie and Val broke up and Val was pissed, if they'd done three small words, it would have been like great. Yeah, totally, totally. Or um, pretend to be like all those songs. Those songs from that movie, and we've talked we talked about that movie on another podcast, but. They they tell a story really well, those songs, mm-hmm. and could be incorporated quite well. Carrie, the musical, was never particularly well received, even after it had been improved. It's not like it was this total smash success. It's still sort of this cult thing. And it's a cult thing because, ultimately, I think that that show was an uphill battle to adapt the Stephen King book into like a into like a pop rock musical. Yeah. And, you know, here we are. And th- this was an uphill battle as well. Oh, oh boy. That being said, let's move on I, to our power, our power yeah, rankings. I like, want to quick say that I felt like Jughead being behind the camera would have been right for a commentary about the male gaze, but it was so underutilized that it was like nothing. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Good point. Absolutely. It would have been really interesting. I was like, oh, yeah, that never fucking came up. I mean, it was clearly just that Cole Sprouse didn't want to sing and dance, and he was right. (laughs) Yeah. He's the one who gets off scot-free in this episode, you know? That Molly Ringwald essay is, like, such a strong example of the male gaze. It's insane. And then this episode was just like, nope. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like... This felt like it was decided later on in the season and it needed to be weaved in and there was a lot going on and kudos to, you know what? Kudos to everybody who worked on this episode for giving it a try. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. Um, Power ranking. Let's do it. All right, Kate, who do you have? My number one is the black hood. Sure. That's fair. My number two is Cheryl. Mm -hmm. My number three is Archie. Mm-hmm. My number four is Kevin. Mm-hmm. My number five is Betty. Mm-hmm. My number six is Ethel. Actually, my number one was Vegas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Of course. For me, power ranking. Number one, Kevin, the director. Number two, Archie. Giving mm-hmm. back that car. Yeah. Number three, covered in blood, Cheryl. Yes. Number four because of the way he handles the whole situation, Fred. Okay. Yeah. Number five, because of the way she handles herself in the episode, for the most part, Betty. Mm-hmm. Yes. But my real number one in this episode? Hot dog? Stephen King. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Who has a great Twitter presence. <laughs> I mean, you know what? He wrote an article for Entertainment Weekly over 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago that I read that I really liked and I forgot about. And then two years ago, two or three years ago, someone brought up that article because he really liked it too, where he talked about how like his favorite show is prison break break. And it's not the best show, but it's his favorite show. And it's the show he would walk over his grandmother's grave to go watch. Yeah. Yeah. He's, and he I, really has a great understanding of pop culture. The only Stephen King book I've read is his on writing. Yeah, it's very good. Oh, no, no, no. I'm sorry. I've never read that. I've read Dance Macabre, which is his earlier collection of essays that's about horror as a genre, and it's really cool. Oh, yeah. On yeah. writing is fantastic. Because it's also yeah. an autobiography. I 
never read his like other stuff, his like actual writing. He's awesome. He is really one of the best pop writers of the 20th century. And, oh, for sure. And and he's he was very ahead of his time in terms of the world building that he did in his books and the way he linked his books together and his characters together. He was really doing that before like these cinematic universes that have mm-hmm. sort of followed his stead. I have a huge amount of respect for Stephen King. And I'd love to see one of his stories actually adapted into a proper musical. Okay, yeah. There you go. Um, my crush list. I'll yeah, go first. You do yours first. And then we have our very special musical crush list coming um, up. That Kate never approved of. <laughs> um, so I think our crush lists are probably pretty similar, though, because number mm-hmm. one is Moose. Mm-hmm. Number two is Cheryl. Mm-hmm. Number three is Ethel. Very interesting. Are you ready to hear my crush list? No. Well, get ready, cause here we go, baby. Pew, 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 pew. Who do I love on Riverdale this week? Who do I love on Riverdale this week? I could have a crush on Kevin, he's director, don't you see? Or perhaps Fangs, stealing all of Kevin's tea. Or Alice, as Carrie's mom in all her Christian glory. Or perhaps on poor old Midge, stuck up there, looking gory Who do I love on Riverdale this week? Who do I love on Riverdale this week? I could say old FP, but he wasn't given enough to do. The same with Jughead. Oh, where are you? At least in this ep, Archie's less of a sucker. But we still had to deal with Chick, that Tilda Swinton-looking motherfucker. Oh, who do I love on Riverdale this week? Oh, who do I love on Riverdale this week? I have to flip the page for my notes. (laughs) Here we go. Mm -mm. I gotta say that it honestly wouldn't hurt to put Ronnie in there because of her plaid skirt. And next up, covered in blood, she got from a barrel. Oh yeah, it's our main girl, Ethel. No, 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 no. Oh, yeah, it's Cheryl. And finally, props to our main man pumping his fist loose. Let's give it up for our, our handsome moose. And that's who I love on Riverdale this week. That's who I loved on Riverdale this week. Yeah. Okay. You hated that. First of all, that introduction was so long before you started saying. No, it was great. It was so long. That's I was you... wondering, like, I was straight up like, it, it need, the, why hasn't it started yet? You're going to play his ukulele instrumental. <laughs> well, 
Alicia, if you want, you can edit out the first two bars of the song. That's perfectly acceptable. So everyone knows who my complaints. I wrote that song in 15 minutes, so I'm very proud of it. Solid for 15 minutes. Uh, very repetitive. Yes, quite repetitive. Yes, um, yes. Not my most right, musically interesting song. I was right that our crush list basically matched up very closely. Yes. I just loved Veronica's plaid skirt outfit. I thought it was great. Great. Uh, yeah, that but other than fun. that, of course, Cheryl and Moose. Yeah, Cheryl and Moose, I mean. I think I knew going into it, I was like, it'd be really, like, before this episode, I was, I was like, it'd be weird if my crutches aren't Moose and Cheryl and someone else. Yeah, 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 that's <laughs> totally fair. <laughs> okay, so good for you. I didn't do it for your approval, Kate. You did it for the I listener's didn't do it approval. For your, I did it for the theme of the episode, which Listen. was so important to us. I want to ask you before we end this episode, what's your what's one or a few of your favorite musicals? Once Upon a Mattress. Before we go, I do want to I do want to remember my Love Simon hot take. Oh yes, yes, that's fine. I wanted to talk about my favorite musicals, but that's fine. We can move on. No, we have to do this Love Simon hot take. Actually, okay. I can hold on to it because it's not like. It involves the movie Blockers. Oh, interesting. Which I haven't seen yet. It's great. I heard it's wonderful. Yeah, I'd like to yeah. see it. Yeah. But uh, we can hold off on it or I can do it. Let's hold off on it for next week. Okay. Ask me what my favorite musicals are. What's your favorite musicals? My favorite musicals, I would say, are Guys and Dolls and The Rocky Horror Show. <sighs> And, oh, Kate hates these. Kate really hates these. And what else do I really, really like? See, like, I really like musical theater, but I don't feel like I like, oh, I really like Tommy as well. Big fan of Tommy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I did musical theater for 12 years. Yeah. The only show I did more than once was Once Upon a Mattress. And it's also, all these years later, I think the only musical I can be like, you know, I liked it. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. But by the way, only the Carol Burnett version. None of the Sarah Jessica Parker bullshit. Thank you for that. Yes. And just for everybody at home, I know that that song was rough and somewhat cringeworthy. And I just want to let you all know, when I start doing my fundraiser for my musical, that I've worked on it much, 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 much harder. And I think it's actually pretty killer great. So just just wanted to say. Oh, I think one of my favorite musicals now that I'm thinking about it is the half-hour UCB show, Fucking Identical Twins. Oh, Josh Sharp's show. Totally yeah, with cool. Jackson. It was, mm-hmm. I saw the spank for it, and it was incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my friend Carl wrote wrote a lot of that with them. Um, yeah. yeah, Carl St. Lucie. Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, totally. And that show's being optioned into some sort of movie, I think. Yeah, and they're killing it on the opposition. They're just like living their best lives. Yeah, good for those fellas. I love it. Anyway. Okay. Um, so next week's episode, <sighs> Prisoners. Yes. Um, it could be based on the 2013 film starring Hugh Jackman. And the reason why I think it is, is because it's about Hugh Jackman, whose daughter is missing, and he takes matter into his own hands, even though the police are pursuing their own leads. Interesting. So, okay, so that's cool. Very archy thing to do. Very much so. Could it also be based, perhaps, on the old television show, The Prisoner? Hey, maybe. I. Hey, I'm just spitballing here. I'm just throwing out some ideas, just being wild, you know, thinking outside the box. 
What was the plot of The Prisoner? Let me look it up quickly on my telephone. I have more favorite musicals. I like totally blanked there. I saw Mean Girls this week. Oh, how was it? It was really good. Um, Is it like Jeff Richmond? Yeah, yeah. The music in it, I actually think, is kind of the weakest link. The music's a little like... The Prisoner is a 17-episode British television series. It combines spy fiction with elements of science fiction and psychological drama. The film follows a British secret former agent who is abducted and imprisoned in a mysterious coastal village resort where his captors try to find out why he abruptly resigned from his job. Yeah, I feel like the Hugh Jackman prisoners is more likely. Probably, you're right. Also, it matches the title. It's not the prisoners, prisoners. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I apologize to our, to our half a listener that we've retained after this episode. <laughs> They'll come back. Please come back next week. We promise we won't hate it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And we normally don't, and you guys know that, too. Like, you know this. Even though we hated it, like, I hope this was a fun episode to listen to. I mean, I had fun doing it, Kate. <laughs> We've been doing it for an hour and a half. I know. <laughs> well, on that note, pals and gals, thanks thanks for tuning in. Follow uh, us on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you to Ronowitz and Alicia Camden. Absolutely. Please stop downvoting us on Reddit. <laughs> I have not. Have you been posting still? I did the last, actually, the last episode did did well on Reddit. We got some nice upvotes on Reddit for the last episode. Nice. And I thanks, don't thanks to everybody that's listening. And we're very happy that you have stuck with us. We love all of you. We do. All right. All right, pals and gals. We're signing off for another episode of XOXO Riverdale. <laughs> <laughs>